Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, when's the last time you reported a story from across the pond? Uh, that would be never, um, up until last Thursday. Oh, boy. Yeah. You have uh, certainly been a, a, a central point for news for the college football community over the past week and a half or so, and it all pertains to Virginia Tech's quarterback situation. Can you please give the fine folks a rundown of kind of what, what has happened here? Uh, there's been a lot of a lot of stuff have gone on at Virginia Tech in the last few weeks since we last recorded. Yeah, not a great offseason. Um, before we get into Jackson stuff, I think it's just easier if we start kind of in chronological order. So... Virginia Tech starting cornerback Adonis Alexander, one of the few starting cornerbacks left on the roster, or one of the few quarterbacks left on the roster with any experience, uh, was ruled academically ineligible for the upcoming football season. So he left Virginia Tech and elected to enter the NFL supplemental draft where, you know, a lot of the NFL scouts are expecting him to actually get picked, uh, which is, um, you know, he obviously has a lot of NFL talent. He's got the measurables and uh, he has the ability, clearly, but, you know, couldn't keep his grades up. So the Hokies lose him, uh, which is a pretty big loss. And that comes on the heels of uh, junior college cornerback Jeremy Webb, who is expected to have a pretty big role on this upcoming season's Hokies football team. Uh, he blew out his Achilles. So now Virginia Tech, you know, they lose Brandon Faison. They lose Greg Stroman both to the NFL draft. They lose to Donis Alexander now to the NFL supplemental draft because he couldn't keep his grades up. And now they lose Jeremy Webb, you know, a junior college transfer who they were expecting to have a big impact this fall. So that's just the beginning of their issues. And um, I reported last week, Joey, uh, last Thursday afternoon, uh, that quarterback Josh Jackson, of course, a returning starter, he'll be a redshirt sophomore. Um, he has some academic issues of his own. Um, it's an honor code issue, academic integrity issue. So it's a little bit different from Madonna's Alexander, uh, where Alexander's issue stems from, you know, his grades not being high enough to compete and play. Uh, that's not the issue with Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson's issue is with academic integrity. Um, and I'll kind of leave it there at that. Um, I talked to three different people. I have it on good authority that, you know, they're expecting for him um, to not suit up for the Hokies this fall. And, um, you know, I reported that he was indefinitely suspended. There have been some, you know, other reports out there from the Virginia Tech beat writers saying, well, you know, he, you know, the ruling hasn't officially come down yet. You know, he's not indefinitely suspended is what the beat writers contend and, um, that he's still on the roster. And, and yes, he is still on the online roster. Um, the Hokies right now are in a process of, you know, weightlifting and weight training. Uh, there haven't really been a lot of organized activities yet for the team because it's early June. Uh, the thing that's a little bit tricky here with the honor code situation at Virginia Tech is that the honor court that rules on these things, um, it comprises of students, it comprises of professors, it comprises of school administrators. But this was a spring semester issue in the classroom for Josh Jackson with his academic integrity issue that he's facing right now. The thing that makes it a little bit more difficult is that school is out right now, or I guess the first summer session actually just begun, but since school was out, it's a little bit hard to get students in there to who are on the honor court to hear the case for Josh Jackson. Um, it's, not an act, it's not an athletic department uh, issue. It's an academic issue. It's a university issue. Um, so the actual release of the information and the findings, um, you know, is kind of to be determined. My guess is that as we record this on Sunday night, June 10th, that we'll hear something this week officially on Josh Jackson's status, but it's unclear at this time. Um, and that that's all we can really say. Um, you know, I reported that he was indefinitely suspended. Some beat writers have disputed that, but at the same time, the beat writers are saying, well, we don't really know if he's going to be able to play this fall. And I think that's just the bottom line. It's that, you know, Josh Jackson comes off of a pretty strong freshman year at Virginia Tech, throws for nearly 3,000 yards and 20 touchdown passes, and nobody knows if he's going to be able to play this fall. Uh, for what it's worth, Joey, the school hasn't commented. Um, I, you know, I, I reached out to um, the athletic department. They said, you know, point blank you know we don't really have a comment on that we don't want to comment on the status of any of our players at this time 
fair enough. They don't want to talk about it. That's understood. Um, the various beat writers haven't been able to get a comment from the school either. The only comment that we got, um, Mike Barber from the Richmond Times Dispatch reached out to Josh Jackson's father, Fred, um, who said, you know, yes, there's an academic issue with his son. Yes, it's being investigated. We'll find out more soon and that they're optimistic that he'll be cleared and he'll be able to play. Uh, but barring anything unexpected at this point, it doesn't look like Josh Jackson's going to play, be playing for Virginia Tech this fall. Um, nobody has gotten any sort of, you know, real hope or real comment from the school that suggests that he'll be able to suit up. So at this point, it's not looking good for Virginia Tech, which really leaves them with Redshirt Jr. Um, Ryan Willis, who had a really good spring for the Hokies. He's a transfer from Kansas, transferred into the program a year ago, sat out, of course, per NCAA eligibility rules. Um, you know, he sat out. He wasn't very good at Kansas, didn't have very good statistics, but nobody really does at Kansas for what it's worth. Um, but, but, you know, uh, he could step in, potentially be a starter. There's Hendon Hooker as well, who's a redshirt freshman who could compete for the starting job. And then another quarterback who's in the mix is Quincy Patterson, who's four-star quarterback and Elite 11 prospect from last year. Um, he's joining the Hokies here this fall as a true freshman. So he would be a dark horse. I think, you know, even if there is quarterback turnover and Josh Jackson is ruled ineligible and doesn't end up suiting up this fall for the Hokies, I think it would be a little bit of a push to expect Quincy Patterson to suit up and play quarterback as a true freshman. Uh, it wouldn't be unprecedented for Justin Fuente to start a freshman quarterback, but I think it would be in the best interest of Quincy Patterson if he took a red shirt year. So I, I think it would be a two-horse race between Ryan Willis and Hendon Hooker for a starting quarterback job if Josh Jackson, um, as we expected at least at this point, does not end up suiting up for Virginia Tech this fall. And it's just not not good for the Hokies who are hoping to, of course, compete in the Coastal Division. It's going to be a lot more difficult to do that now with the issues that they've now had on defense with attrition and now potentially not having your starting quarterback suit up this fall. Mike, there's a few different layers to this that I think are, are very interesting and unique. And one of them is the fact that we're sitting here talking about this in late May, early June, you know, to, to the fact that we're not going to know anything definitively about what's going to happen here until either A, the school elects to release a statement, which they don't have to do. No interest. Or, yeah. Or B, at the very earliest, Josh Jackson is canceled as an ACC kickoff attendant in six weeks, right? I mean, they, they don't suit up for practice for two months now. And so it's it's hard to say, you know, if we're going to get any sort of re resolution or what if it's going to be publicized, you know, what, what kind of closure we're going to get. It's going to be a while. Who's to say? Um, now, at the very least, I mean, this is a, a very concerning kind of story for Virginia Tech. Um, between him and Adon Adonis Alexander, we're starting to see a couple of uh, a, somewhat of a pattern of some academic issues with Justin Fuente's program that we didn't really hear about in, under Frank Beamer, which who's to say if he's responsible for that or if it's just more, you know, a couple of coincidences, you know, I don't know. But all in all, Mike, not shaping up into a particularly great offseason for Virginia Tech. And it all really came down within a few weeks. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and we can talk about the NFL draft, and there were a couple guys who declared you weren't expecting to. You know, Terrell Edmonds declares. You had Tim Settle declare. Of course, Tremaine Edmonds goes in the first round. He was pretty much a given to leave. But, you know, the Hokies are in a pretty tenuous spot here. Um, they, they have a lot that they need to sort out here over the next couple of months. Uh, that was going to be the case regardless on the defensive side of the ball. But now you have the potential here to lose your starting quarterback unless something changes here. Um, and he came off a really strong freshman year. And, you know, I, I see comments out there, Joey. We talked about this a little bit on this podcast, you know, how Josh Jackson kind of regressed as the season went along. And, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, if he's ineligible, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I would disagree. Um, the other quarterbacks on the roster is a guy who wasn't able to compete at Kansas. And then we have Hendon Hooker, who hasn't taken a collegiate snap, and Quincy Patterson, who hasn't taken a collegiate snap. So options are limited at quarterback for Virginia Tech if Josh Jackson isn't able to play this fall. And you have a lot of people just talking about Ryan Willis's spring game performance. I mean, yeah, if only they gave out Heisman trophies at the spring game. Um, 
I, you know, I understand the fan base and, and their optimism for, you know, someone playing a little bit better, but, you know, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that Ryan Willis is definitely a better quarterback than Josh Jackson, especially when, you know, a lot of Josh Jackson's struggles came in the latter half of the season. He was dealing with a shoulder injury, a knee injury, a foot injury, all nagging at him. Um, and it's very difficult to do your job as a quarterback when your shoulder hurts, your knee hurts, your foot hurts. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how it all plays out. I think Josh Jackson's the guy for the job at Virginia Tech. Obviously, if he is, if he's ruled eligible and everything ends up clearing up, um, he's the guy. He's the starting quarterback. And I think the first half of last season is a big reason why Hokies fans need to be optimistic um, if he is and if he is able to end up playing this fall. Mike, there, I, I kind of want to hear this from your end too, kind of your experience with this story, because for those unaware, you are just now getting back from like a, what was it, a two-week vacation in Europe. You you were on a Mediterranean cruise for a good piece of that. And yet, as it's all, you know, you're over across the pond in Europe and, and exploring those areas. You're also reporting on this story and, and really taking the lead on it among a lot of folks. You know, you had a lot of news outlets that were quoting you and citing you in this. Give me the rundown of kind of how this all happened. I can't imagine that coming from Europe, you were fishing for facts here. Someone must have reached out to you and kind of given you the lowdown here. Yeah, so let's start with Wednesday. So I report on this Thursday. So I started hearing things Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon time frame. Um, it was, you know, late on Wednesday, my time, uh, six hours ahead in Europe. And I started seeing some things on some message boards. I was keeping track of things, you know, when I was away. I did have Wi-Fi, so I was able to keep track of just general sports news. And you know, I started seeing some things on message boards, you know, cropping up about rumors about Josh Jackson's eligibility. So then from there, it's like, okay, well, let's see what I can find out, right? So it's a little bit tricky when you're overseas and you're dealing with the time change and it's hard to reach people. You can't exactly get on the phone, um, but you can send text messages for what it's worth. So um, sent some texts late on Wednesday, started getting responses to the text, um, the inquiries that I sent on the story um, early on Thursday. Um, you know, and then Thursday afternoon had a couple other people chime in. Um, and by Thursday, by late Thursday, my time, I felt pretty confident that, you know, the story was progressing to a point where I could say, okay, yeah, definitively, you know, Josh Jackson, it's going to be a surprise if he's a starting quarterback at Virginia Tech this fall. And I felt confident in that. And once you get two or three, you know, people telling you this and you feel good about those the information those two or three people are providing. It's one of those things that I wouldn't have gone with if I didn't feel confident in the information I was given. So for the information that's out there now that's that's refuting what I said, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. And maybe maybe I got bad information, but you know, I've received information from these individuals in the past. I felt good about what they've given me. Um, there's a reason why I went with it. I wouldn't have gone with it if obviously I didn't feel good about it because it's a pretty strong claim to say, yeah, Josh Jackson's is not going to be the quarterback at Virginia Tech this fall. That's that's a bold statement to make. That's a slanderous statement if you're wrong. So, you know, I felt good about the information. I still feel good about the information and we'll have to see how it all plays out. You know, from a fan's perspective, obviously I hope he's cleared um, and I hope he's able to play because I think Virginia Tech's a much better team with him on the field. But unfortunately, the way the situation is looking, at least at this juncture, I'm not sure it's going to end up being the case. Well, kudos to you for for taking that risk and kind of jumping on it the way that you did. Um, I, I, I've seen a lot of, again, a lot of different news outlets from a lot of different angles that were quoting you and citing you in this. So it seems like you were really the one on the on the front end of this. Um, so bravo to you. You know, not only the the guts to take a take a leap and put put that out there, but also just following up on it the way that you did. Um, well done. Congratulations. Thank you. Mike, we got good news. Got good news to share with the people. Uh, I don't know that we shared the bad news that really preceded this. Um, a few months ago, and this was back in like late March, so think, you know, the the late spring practice timeframe. 
Uh, Syracuse backup quarterback Rex Culpepper was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and in the time since we've last recorded, he has now been declared cancer free, uh, went through some chemotherapy and some other treatment and he's good to go. Um, for those unaware, I guess he's the son of Brad Culpepper, uh, who was a defensive tackle. He played at Florida in the early nineties and then played several years in the NFL. Um, so his, he comes from a football background and all this, uh, he's the backup quarterback at Syracuse behind Eric Dungey. Um, and, and it sounds like he's going to be able to hopefully play this fall uh, after recovering from a, a cancer diagnosis just a few months ago. So that is that is some great news in the world of college football and, and certainly in the Syracuse community. Well, it's a huge deal that his health is, health is in a good place, right? I mean, that's first and foremost. His health is in a good spot. Obviously great to hear. He was able to fight it off relatively quickly. Um, which is always good. So, um, you know, that's a great situation now for Rex Culpepper. Obviously, a Syracuse community is very happy that his health is in good shape first and foremost. From a football perspective, Rex Culpepper is a very important figure because, Joey, you and I have talked about this at length. Eric Dungy is a guy that has trouble staying on the field. So who becomes super important when you have a guy like Eric Dungy unable to stay on the field the backup quarterback who of course was everybody's favorite recess character zach mahoney until now so rex culpepper in the fold uh zach mahoney has obviously graduated and moved on rex culpepper is a very important figure behind eric donji because of course donji is unable to stay on the field so now that rex culpepper is healthy and his health is in a good place um we're gonna have to watch and see how he progresses in the fall and see if he's a guy who you know has the ability to start quarterback for Syracuse at some point, because if it's not going to be this year, it'll be next year. Um, as Eric Dungey is now a senior, I believe. So it'll be interesting. Um, one way or another, I know we're going to be seeing some of Rex Culpepper on the field. It might even be as early as this fall, just given the track record of Eric Dungey's health. I'll, I'll put, I'll say this, Mike, it's not a knock on Eric Dungey. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. he, so much of the reason I think that he struggles to stay on the field is he he ends up taking such punishment because he's doing so much, not only from the pocket, but also running the ball. Um, so his his lack of durability, so to speak, is not as much a, a thing of him as much as kind of going into hero mode, I think, sometimes, which he kind of has to do to keep Syracuse in games. He plays there. Yeah, he plays at Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. But for what it's worth, Rex Culpepper, the only quarterback on the Syracuse roster to play in all 12 games last year. Right. So like like you said, I mean, that's an incredibly important role. If, if you can't if you have no good reason, no good data to say that Eric Dungy is going to be on the field all 12 games, you know, plus whatever postseason that Syracuse is going to play this fall. Rex Culpepper, Rex, Rex Culpepper. Wow. Uh, getting out of practice here. He is a very important figure on the Syracuse team. And so the fact that he is able to get healthy here, get a clean bill of health, declared cancer free, he's going to be back. I think that's that's pretty good news and that's a big deal for Syracuse going into 2018. Yep, bigger deal than usual just because we don't know how Eric Dungy is going to hold up. We just don't. So uh, we could take a pretty good guess at it, Joey, just the way things have gone and how Dungy's had to carry that offense. Mm -hmm. But Rex Culpepper, yeah, very important figure, good that he's healthy and he's going to be a guy who may have to contribute relatively soon. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yep. Mike, we got more good news. I, I would say it's not quite as good as the previous news, but it's also, you know, in its own right, it's pretty good news. Okay. Um, we've got week one betting odds to, to talk about here. We've got spreads yeah, for, yeah, spreads for a whole bunch of ACC teams in week one uh, in the early September timeframe. Uh, you want to run through these real quick? Let's do it. All right. First off, and I want you to give me your thoughts on these as we go through. First game looks maybe a little more interesting than a lot of people would initially take it to be. Wake Forest, an eight-point favorite on the road in New Orleans at the Tulane Green Wave. Thoughts? Wake Forest, man. The steam and Deeks, the fighting steam Kendall Hintons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Um, eight-point favorites against Tulane. Um you and I said this when we were looking at this. Careful. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of unknowns with Wake Forest coming off of a really nice year last year. 
It's not your grandfather's Demon Deeks, though. No also, more not your grandfather's Green Wave. Yeah, not your grandfather's Green Wave. Um, yeah, I'm all about taking stabs at betting lines in June, right? When we know as little as possible about these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lean Tulane plus eight there. Um, I just don't know enough about what Wake Forest is going to look like. I mean, I have a general idea in the past, but it's a very different offense than the one that we saw last year with John Wolford. Um, you know, Kendall Hinton, a lot better runner than passer. That's been clear just in the packages he's been used in, even when John Wolford was healthy. Um, Hinton has starting experience. He started a good amount of games for uh, Wake Forest. I don't have the number in front of me, but he and Wolford split time um, throughout Wolford's sophomore and junior year. It wasn't really until last year when Wolford had that huge jump in, um, you know, in his statistics and his production that, you know, Kendall Hinton really didn't see the field all that much. So we know Hinton's got experience. Um, Wake Forest has some question marks on their defense um, coming into this season, so we'll have to see how that plans out. I think you take Tulane there, plus eight, though, in the opener. I think I agree. At home, uh, in New Orleans like that, uh, for those unaware, Tulane is coached by Willie Fritz, who in 2011 and 2012 was runners-up back-to-back in the FCS championship, uh, lost both years in the final game, but had a really good Sam Houston State team going, then moves on to Georgia Southern, has two really strong seasons in 2014 and 15, uh, puts together a strong program, goes to Tulane in 2016, Goes four and eight and then five and seven last year. But I'll tell you, they looked a lot better at the end of the year than they did at the beginning of the year. I think you might have something cooking at Tulane. And especially when you compare that against a Wake Forest team that struggled defensively down the stretch. The uh, the post-Mike Elko era has not been kind for Wake Forest defense. I would tell you that, yeah, be careful. I'm If I'm betting that game right now, I'm probably taking uh, Tulane plus eight at home. Uh, and there's a chance that they might win that game outright. I, I, I worry about Wake Forest needing to score with what tends to be a pretty effective uh, Willie Fritz offense at Tulane. Plus it's week one, so anything goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Next up, should have a healthy Eric Dungy, at least for this one. Syracuse minus six in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan. I love me some football in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Kalamazoo, though. Um, Same. Yeah. Why would you, right? Uh, <laughs> Syracuse minus six. Feel pretty good about this. Um, you know, Eric Dungey's back. He's healthy. Should be healthy for game one. Um, I'll take the orange here. Minus six. This should be fine. Agree with that. I, I think if, if you've got healthy, um, energized, rested Eric Dungey, you've got a team that's Looking to prove something in year three here under Dino Babers. I think that Syracuse should be just fine here, even on the road. Western Michigan, not really what they were a couple of years ago when they went undefeated. Um, and I'm struggling to recall the coach's name, but they, they were rowing the boat. And uh, last year, not not quite as much as he left to go to Minnesota. Um, Mike, do you have that coach's name? I can't believe I've blanked out to. I know this isn't great. That's okay. We're ACC football experts, not Mac or Big Ten football experts. So for what that's, that's worth, um, yeah, give me Syracuse minus six here against PJ uh, Fleck. PJ Fleck got him. God, my sorry. man. Sorry, everybody. Got him. Out of it's, okay. To be fair, it's early June. I mean, cut us a little bit of slack. Yes. Yeah, give me give me a couple months to get back into form. I'll get there. Duke at home, eleven point favorite against Army. Is that too much against Army, Mike? Yeah, I think it's too much against Army. Plus, I don't know. I mean, Duke last year, it didn't really feel like they could beat anybody by two touchdowns, just the way they played. Um, I don't, I'm sure the record doesn't stand on that. I have no idea, um, looking back at their scores from a year ago. But Duke was wildly inconsistent. Um, Army was actually pretty consistent last year. Um, the thing you're hoping for with Duke is that Daniel Jones has a strong season here as he comes into his junior year. He had a little bit of a sophomore slump last year. The whole offense did, to be honest. Um, hopefully a little bit more of a run game this year, um, you know, to accompany the passing game, you know, take some pressure off of Daniel Jones in that regard. Hopefully a defense just continues to play pretty steady for Duke, but I'm going to take Army plus 11 in the opener. I think Duke probably wins that game, but I think Army should keep that close. 
Mike, uh, Duke won exactly one ACC game last year by 11 points or more. And let's just put it this way. I don't have any interest in talking about who that was against. However, I will tell you that they did lose on the road at Army last year. And I think for that kind of reason and what Army was and how effective they were, um, I – I'm with you. I think I take Army plus 11, but I think Duke wins that game at home. I, I don't see him losing to Army another time, uh, particularly without going on the road there. That's fair. Good. Let's just breeze on and not talk about who they beat by 11 plus points. I, hey, I left, beat by 23 points. I, I left that alone just for you. Thanks, bud. Yep. Boston College minus 18 at home against UMass. Um, that's a lot of points, and I'm kind of tempted by him, Mike. Yeah, by the way, it was Georgia Tech. Um, so BC, uh, minus 18. That's Thanks, a lot of Andrew. points. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> um, he's gone now though. Praise Christ. Yeah. Dilly um, dilly. I'd say he's gone to a better place, but he ended up at NC state. So yeah. we're going to come back to them here in a little while. Don't worry, Andrew Parker. Yeah. Um, so BC minus 18. I mean, they are 18 points better than UMass, but I have a feeling Scott Leffler is going to want to throw the ball like 35 times in this game. So I'm going to take UMass plus 18. Gosh, I'm always so much more interested in betting Boston College when Scott Leffler is not the offensive coordinator. Like, they, you're right. That is a, you know, they should be three touchdowns better than UMass. And yet, uh, I don't know if I can trust them or not. Um, they'll, win, they'll win and they'll win comfortably. But I, I just, you know, UMass can cover 18 because I think Boston College will do some stupid stuff offensively where they'll be like, okay, we're going to open up the playbook and throw it a ton, even though that's obviously not their strength with A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, you, you can win that game comfortably by 10 to 14 points, even if you you know do a couple of dumb week one things, and even if your defense comes out a little sluggish and a couple – I mean, so almost three touchdowns is a lot. I don't know. I'll go, I'll go against you, Mike, here. I'll go uh, BC minus 18. Why not? Okay. North Carolina, five and a half point underdog in Berkeley, California against the Cal Golden Bears. I don't know what to think of this matchup, Mike. I don't know enough about either of these two teams at this juncture. UNC, the entire team was hurt last year. We don't know who's playing quarterback. We don't know who's playing really any of the skill positions. The defense still stinks. Um, with Cal, we really don't know what's going on either side of the football, either uh, complete coin flip game. Uh, Cal's at home in that one, correct? Yeah, that's in California. Yeah, I'll take. Uh, if it was a money line situation, I guess I'd take Cal just because they're at home. But I have no idea about the spread, so I don't know. Give me Cal minus five and a half, I guess. Cal went into Chapel Hill last year and won thirty-five thirty. Um, it's like I, I kind of want to believe in in North Carolina in 2018, you know, thinking that they're going to bring a bunch of experience from last year. Guys were playing that didn't necessarily need to be, but a bunch of injuries caused them to play. And I'm going to think that they're good this year. But then again, we were talking before we came on, and I told you that the Tar Heels have really still not figured out defense in the post-Gene Chizik era. Um, and so I, I, I don't know how great I feel about them going across the country and that whole thing. I, I, Nathan Elliott is the most quarterback they have so far, but even he's not, you know, a world beater. Give me, give me the Golden Bears minus five and a half at home. I think that's where I'm going here. Fair. Mike, this number has come down by a field goal, which is meaningful and, and is a, a pretty big movement in a line until you realize that the line itself is 25 and a half, as the Louisville Cardinals are a 25 and a half point underdog to the Alabama Crimson Tide. And honestly, I don't know why on earth anybody is, is you know, laying money here on, on Louisville. Like, yeah, it's a big number, but I, have, I don't believe in Louisville in 2018. I just don't. And they're going to have to prove it to me. And until then... I'm happy to bet Alabama to win this game by four touchdowns or more. Yeah, and Alabama really has only one question on their roster. I understand they had a lot of roster turnover on the defensive side of the football, but their defense is always good, so it doesn't matter. They really have only one question. It's pretty, you know, it's a high red district question, right? It's who's going to play quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, you have a former SEC player of the year or SEC freshman of the year um, in one hand, you know, who's got an insane record and Jalen Hurts, who's been great his entire time in Alabama. On the other hand, you have Tua Tagovailoa, who just won you a national championship with his second-half performance. So 
that's a high rent district question for Alabama, who's perennially a top, you know, one to two team in the country, always competing for a championship. And you're telling me they can't beat a Lamar Jackson list Louisville team by four touchdowns in the opener. Give me Alabama huge, huge in this one. They can absolutely win this game by four touchdowns. Jair Alexander less, James Hearns less. I mean, I think Louisville is worse on both sides of the ball here than they were last year. Mike, if I told you I'm going to flip a coin right now, heads, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback for Alabama. Tails, Tua Tagovailoa is the quarterback for Alabama. Are you, like, really thinking about while it's in the air? Man, I hope it comes down on one side. That's going to affect my bet here. No. Yeah, I, I don't know that it really matters either way. No. Um, I, I would say maybe Tua, there's a little bit of risk, you know, with, with Alabama that he's going to – gunslinger it up and throw about three picks um Jalen Hurts a little bit of a risk that they're going to get a a 17 to 21 point lead and just coast the way in you know but I mean this is an Alabama team that in opening games recently I mean we saw them lay waste to a number three Florida State team last year we saw them lay waste to like a top 10 USC team a couple years ago in week one huh. That was so ugly at USC. 52 to 6. Oh, that was so ugly. That covered 28. Like, you're telling me that Louisville is going to keep this within four touchdowns? I don't think so. I'll be shocked. Yeah. Louisville could Louisville could play well in this game, too, and they could still lose by four touchdowns. Oh, yeah. You could see totally. this being like, okay, you could see it totally being like, you know, it's 24 to 6 in the fourth quarter. It's like, oh, well, Louisville did a really nice job, but they can't get the ball past, you know, the 50. It's like, oh, well, they got those six points there back in the first quarter and haven't scored since. And now it's like 24 to six. It's an 18 point game. You know, it's like, okay, like, give me a late Alabama touchdown run, you know, another stupid turnover by Jawan pass. And we put in the end zone again. You know what I mean? I mean, you could totally see Louisville playing with Alabama, having it be relatively competitive and still easily lose this game by four touchdowns. Easily, easily. I mean, I think Louisville is going to have to get lucky on a couple occasions to to keep this within four touchdowns, frankly. I mean, they're going to run a play action pass and hit a deep ball and get lucky that, you know, somebody bid on it on the Alabama. I mean, I, I just don't see it. We'll see. Moving on. This is in Dallas, I think, on Sunday. The Miami Hurricanes, a three-point favorite at a neutral site against the LSU Bayou Bengal Tigers. Um, Mike, what's your initial thought on this game? Miami's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, is LSU? LSU is like pretty good. I, don't I would know. put LSU's floor at pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, LSU's got a pretty solid ceiling, I would say, but so does Miami. Mm-hmm. But we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams in the opener, I think. Um, quarterback play is going to be really important. Obviously, LSU's moving on from Danny Etling. Miami is still dealing with the Molly Crozier experience, as we all are. Um, you know, these are two teams that have playoff potential. Uh, the issue with LSU is every year it comes down to, oh, yeah, we got to play Alabama. And that's where it's Ed Orgeron versus Nick Saban. And it's the same issue every year. It's like, okay, well, does LSU have enough at the quarterback position to get by Alabama? And if the answer is no, then they're not going to win and they're not going to go to the SEC championship. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what we're what we're dealing with with LSU year in and year out. Uh, The defense is going to be phenomenal for LSU. They're going to have a really strong team this year. Um, They should be pretty good. I'm going to take Miami in this game. I don't know if it's by three or by seven. I think it'll be within within 10, though. Um, I take Miami on the money line to win this game. I'm I'm pretty high on the Hurricanes this year, Joey. I just don't see really a team um, in the Coastal Division that's going to be able to really hang with them. Um, I think they're kind of the runaway favorites right now in the Coastal. I think they're going to have a really strong year. I think they have to get started on the right foot and win this game in a non-conference game in the opener. I feel like I'm not really making a bold statement if I say that I think there's about a 100% chance that both of these teams finish anywhere with, you know, between the eight to 11 win range, but literally either one could finish at either end of that range. I they agree. could both finish high. They could both finish low. I mean, I don't know. Um, I think they both have a pretty good floor. They both have a awfully high ceiling. It's just a matter of which one is doing which and, or are they both doing one or the other? I, I don't really know what to say. 
Um, I, I am hesitant uh, about Miami, given what we know about the limitations of their quarterback situation um, and how good LSU's defense projects to be. LSU also changing offensive coordinators back to, and I forget the guy's name, but he was their offensive coordinator when Ed Orgeron took over as head coach mid-2016. Uh, um, the offensive coordinator that had that offense cooking pretty good, he's coming back and taking that over from Matt Canada from last year. So if that's effective, who's to say? I mean, I, I don't know if they've got a, you know, if, if their quarterback situation is going to be anything even passable, pun intended. But um, I I don't know. I, I think in this kind of game, it's enough of a toss-up that I, I would probably just take the points either way. But nothing would surprise me here. I mean, if Miami won this game by 17 points, that wouldn't shock me. If LSU won the game by 14 points, that wouldn't shock me. I mean, it's... It's a total toss-up, and this is maybe about as intriguing of a matchup as I've seen on opening weekend, I think. It'll be a big game. Um, it's going to come down to quarterbacks. I think that's kind of the bottom line, and we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams in, in the first weekend. I mean, no season is decided in the opening weekend. We know that. Um, we'll have the classic case of everybody overreacting one way or another, not just to this game, but to really all the games on the slate in the opening weekend. That's just how it works every year. But you know, the college football playoff isn't decided on opening weekend. Um, you know, conference championships aren't decided on an opening weekend. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Completely agreed. Mike, your Hokie is a seven-point road favorite on Labor Day night in Tallahassee against the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, this is up, I believe, from five and a half uh, a few weeks ago. And I don't know how you're feeling about it, but recent news, I'm not feeling great about your Hokies here. No, I, I like Florida State. I'm actually, I'm, I'm working on trying to get tickets to this game and, you know, mm. find a way to have that work out. Um, recent news, yeah, definitely doesn't have me feeling good about this. I like Florida State minus seven here against Virginia Tech. Um, too many questions for the Hokies right now. Hey, we're not going to bet on these games in June. We're just doing this for the podcast sake. Um, but in light of what we know right now, yeah, give me the Seminoles minus seven at home uh, against Virginia Tech on Labor Day night. That's It's a no-brainer bet for me. I'm with you. I think Florida State was probably uh, a better team than we kind of got indication of last year. I think that their results are not indicative of how good they could have been. I think that a lot of that team had some – what I'll call chemistry issues or maybe effort issues or something. I think that that team started to quit on Jimbo Fisher. Yep. Jimbo Fisher issues. And I think with all the talent there being re-energized under Willie Taggart and such, um, I think the Seminoles are going to be just fine this year. They're going to be pretty good, frankly. Uh, and I think that that starts to show here on Labor Day night. I'm not usually the one to get behind a, a brand new head coach and especially Willie Taggart. I mean, this is his fourth head coaching tenure and the first two of them, the first years he won like a combined three games across those two years. So it's, we'll see. Um, but tentatively, I think with the pieces he's already got in place there in Tallahassee, I think that this is going to be a re-energized, reinvigorated uh, Florida State team that I think is going to do some damage this year. And I think that they are at least a touchdown better than Virginia Tech on Labor Day night, especially given the recent information that you have brought to light, Mike. Last game that we're going to talk about, just for good measure, and we haven't talked this much about uh, this team in a little bit, but your Notre Dame fight in Irish, one-and-a-half-point uh, home underdog against the Michigan Wolverines. Does Notre Dame – let me put it this way. Does Notre Dame deserve to be an underdog in this game, given what we know about these two teams? I don't think so. I don't know if they do either. I don't think so. I mean, I think that Michigan's getting a lot of love because of Shea Patterson. Um, having him being eligible, shiny new toy quarterback, the position that Michigan has so desperately needed a really, really good player at the last few years. They finally have that. Um, is Michigan's defense going to be as good as it's been the last couple of years heading into this season? I think that's the real question. If Michigan gets the same type of production out of their defense and Shea Patterson ends up being pretty good, Michigan's going to be in great shape to contend in the Big Ten. If it's another shaky year, a quarterback and the defense even takes a little bit of a step back, we could be looking at another eight or nine win Michigan team. And then all of a sudden we're going to be question, like really, really questioning Jim Harbaugh there. Um, it, you know, I think Notre Dame is 
is a team that, you know, last year they were a fringe playoff team um, until the Miami game. They were a team that was squarely in the mix. Uh, they were a top five team at one point. They were very good last year. Um, they took a big step forward following the four and eight campaign in 2016. They have a really strong team returning. Um, a lot of playmakers on both sides of the ball coming back. Brandon Wimbush apparently looked great in the spring throwing the football, which is welcome news to Notre Dame fans because he was very shaky at the position last year. Of course, you'll remember Joey in the bowl game against LSU and ended up being Ian Book for most of the second half, ended up winning that game for Notre Dame. So it was kind of a question of, okay, is Brandon Wimbush going to be the guy this fall uh, for Notre Dame? I don't think they deserve to be underdogs at home in the opener. They haven't played Michigan in a few years. Obviously, one of those longtime rivalry games for Notre Dame that they hadn't gotten, haven't gotten to play in a while. Both teams will come out energized. I think Notre Dame is the better team. Um, I think Michigan's going to be good this year, but I'm going to take the Irish because I think they deserve to actually be the favorites in this game um, in the first weekend at home um, against a team that they've had some pretty good success against here the last few years when they have played. I, I, I'm with you, I think, in being a little bit skeptical of is Shea Patterson going to be up to expectations? And that's more more commentary on the level of the expectations there than anything about him as a quarterback. Yep. Um, and like you said, I mean, Michigan has had a, a very formidable defense the last couple of years under Don Brown since they got him from Boston College. Um, and, and for that reason, it's like – you. you what you said is if Shea Patterson is pretty good, then this is probably like an 11 win team. Like you don't need uh, an absolute gunslinger, excellent quarterback to win a lot of games with how good their defense is. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Mike. I it's, you just need him to not be Wilton Spade or like John O'Corn or literally anybody. How it is that, um, Jim Harbaugh, of all people, what he does in recruiting, what he does in quarterback coaching, as we saw with Andrew Luck and a couple of guys, like how it is that he has not been able to shore up the quarterback situation in Ann Arbor. Like, I don't know. I've not figured that out yet. Um, and yet, like, it's not like he's a that's a program that's got to be totally carried like uh, by a quarterback, right? I mean, his Stanford program was as good as they were because Andrew Luck was, you know, a two or three win above replacement kind of guy, so to speak. Um, Michigan doesn't have to be that. I mean, they've got a good enough defensive side of the ball that you just need something out of your offense. So I think I'm a believer in Michigan here, Mike. I, I think I'm taking the Wolverines minus one and a half on the road. I think that they're going to be pretty good this year. Like you said, if not, then they're going to start having some tough questions to answer. And so we'll have to see, but I don't know. I, I think I like Michigan here, but you know, we'll see. I, it's, I think it's a very appropriate line at being just on, you know, barely on one side of pick them. Yeah. I mean, I think for, it's a bigger deal for Michigan to win this game on the road um, Mm -hmm. in the opener. If they're going to be really good this year, then you can say, Oh, well, you know, if Notre Dame's a team that we kind of all expect them to be, which is like a top 10 or 15 team and Michigan can hang their hat on, Oh, well we beat Notre Dame on the road in the opener. Um, that's where you're making a case for a playoff berth, right? At the end of the year, if you're really competing in the Big Ten and you got a real chance to go to a playoff, you can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we have this great record in the Big Ten. Oh, and we also beat Notre Dame on the road in the opener. So it's, whereas if Notre Dame loses a tight game at home to Michigan, on the flip side of that coin, I think they can bounce back from that. It's like, okay, well, Michigan's a really good team. You know, we lost that game at home. And you could look at it the same way for Michigan. I just think the margin for error is a little bit smaller in the Big Ten. You look at Notre Dame, Notre Dame's got a brutal schedule this year. Um, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to kind of um, make up for a loss in there. But we don't really know what the Big Ten's going to be outside of you know Wisconsin, who's as consistent as they come, and Ohio State. Penn State's losing a lot of playmakers. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is, you know, when you lose a Heisman-type player at running back, that's huge. And that's what Saquon Barkley was. Um, so we don't really know how good the Big Ten is. So I think it's a much bigger deal if Michigan wins this football game than Notre Dame. I agree. Mike, I'm going to hand you 20 bucks. I'm going to put a gun to your head and say, you have to bet one of these games and you better get it right. Where are you putting your 20 bucks? Ooh. This is a hypothetical, by the way, just in case anyone's listening. (laughs) Hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical. Everybody relax. Um, uh, I'm putting it on Florida State at home. 
I mean, it's okay. Uh, you know, you only got to win by a touchdown, a field goal against Virginia Tech. Um, Hokies might be entering that game with a former Kansas quarterback or a first-time starter, potentially. If it's not Josh Jackson, uh, yeah, sign me up for Florida State minus seven. It's funny because we're both going to bet against our own teams here because if you told me the same thing, give me Alabama minus 25 and a half. I don't see – I am so down on Bobby Petrino's Louisville, you know, round two that just – no thanks. I'm out. I'm that's out. A huge, that's a huge spread, so. I know. Yeah, that's a ton of points, and I feel so good that Alabama is going to cover it. It's like this, this feels like about a 42 to 10 kind of game or something. I mean, it's I don't I don't see this being even like entertaining. It, I love oh, it. Well. Like, oh, Mike, give me one bet. I'm like, hey, Joey, give me one bet. Yeah, inject mm-hmm. Alabama minus 25 and a half right into my veins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Oh, Mike. Uh, Give me a give me a quick rundown. What was the coolest thing you did in Europe? Coolest thing I did in Europe. Went to Venice for the first time. That was really Ooh. really freaking cool. They got no roads there, so it, it really is all waterways. Um, went on a gondola, which is as cool as it looks. Um, everything about Venice was really sweet. Also went to Montenegro. Montenegro is a relatively new country. Um, just gained independence in the 1990s. Uh, used to be part of Yugoslavia. Got mountains. You got beach. Um, a sweet town area uh, in Kator where you know the cruise ship parked. So Montenegro was super cool too. Um, of course, we did Rome and Florence. And it's cool to go to Rome and see the Colosseum, the Vatican, and all that. Um, Florence is a really cool city. Uh where else do we go while well, while I'm at it? Went to Nice, France. Um, so that's the French Riviera. That was, you know, really nice area there. And then we also went to Ravenna, which is right near Bologna, um, Italy. So that was a nice area as well. So all the ports are really cool, but if I had to pick one, it's all about Venice because Venice was very different experience. Man, that sounds like fun. I, I think I mentioned that we're we're going to Greece in like the mid-August time frame. So other than my Ireland trip a couple of years ago, right after the podcast started, uh, this will be my second time now across the pond in Europe. So that'll be cool. What was the uh, what was the best thing you ate? Best thing you drank the whole time you were there? Had a seafood pasta when I was there. Um, actually, also in Venice, it was the best meal I had. Um, really, really solid. I mean, you can't go wrong with the food in Italy. It's just kind of what they're known for. Any pasta, pizza, um, you know, the sauce is really good. Uh so yeah, I had a really good seafood pasta there. Best thing I drank, um, I had a ton of beer, Joey. Um, really? Yeah, I did. Now the the wine, the best drink I had, we had a red wine on a tour um, when we were. Uh, where was that? Good podcasting. Yeah, um, that was uh, that was Reve- Yeah, that was Ravenna. Sorry. Um, no, that was Pompeii. Went to Pompeii too. I left that out. Pompeii was really interesting. I've heard uh, that song. Yeah. Yeah, it's a song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, went to Pompeii. The wine we had was in Sorrento, which is like right near Pompeii. It was like it's a really cool town area. Had a red wine there. It didn't even really taste like wine. It was like, it was very, very smooth. Um, mm. Really good. That was probably the best drink I had there. Um, and that was really solid. But the best beer I had there was this beer called Nixico. Um, it's actually German, but Ooh. I had it. It's it's real solid. I mean, it was light beer, real smooth. Um, had a couple of them, like 18-ounce beers. Yeah. They, they don't cheat you over there. They give you large beers. So Yeah. Beer. Well, there you go. I'm a bit of a beer snob myself. I'm... I guess I don't know enough about Greek beer to, you know, feel like I'm really jazzed up about that. But I know that like Belgium and Germany and a couple of them have uh, really, really good beer scenes. So if I can maybe sneak something from one of those places, that would be ideal. Um, Mike, if I think you follow me on Twitter. Um, it's few people that listen here do. Uh, I got my car back. Yeah, that was, that was a big deal. At long last, after seven weeks in the shop, I think the total bill came out to 
let's just say well into the five digits. Um, at some point I was wondering, you know, when they were just going to be like willing to total it. And I think they got close to that point, but um, you know, not quite. So I got the old car back. It smelled like new, which is always a good thing, but that's yes. because literally like a, a third of the car was new. They said they replaced pretty much everything behind the back seats. So the entire trunk, the entire bumper impact bar, all this stuff. So um, got that back. It's felt like absolute heaven driving my car again. Um, very positive. I have gotten a traffic ticket in the meantime. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's move on to the important things, right? Because number one, you get your car back. <laughs> yes. Number two, let's talk about that traffic ticket. This is this is multiple levels of dumb. So first of all, uh, my my office was hosting like an offsite event that I was going to be driving to. Let's uh, keep it simple. Uh -huh. Say that. So I was I was going to drive there. Well. I decided to get cute and try to take a different uh, a different route than I normally would. There's a very simple, obvious route. I was trying to be, you know, a, a smart ass about it and take a different route. So I ended up, as I was doing it, I pulled up to um, a red light. And the way that in Texas you've got interstates, um, and because we've got so much room down here, no idea what to do with it. We have these access roads, right? You uh -huh. know, these side yep. roads run up next to the interstate. So. I pull up to a red light. I'm going to take a right onto the access road to get on the interstate. Well, there's a car in front of me. Lights like green, maybe just turned yellow. Cars stopped. And there's nobody turning. There's nobody, nothing. It's like, you're just sitting there. I'm like, dude, just like go. I, I honked at him. Yeah, all right, he goes. So I pull up to the light. And it's now at this point, it's a red light. But my understanding is that a red light turning right, it's like a yield sign. Not the case. Uh, a, a red light when you're turning right, you still got to stop. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Surprise. Apparently the cop facing me on the other lane knew, uh, and decided to come up and inform me and give me a nice little citation. So he'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, today I learned, uh, so we'll, right. we'll see how that turns out. And uh, the other thing that's, that's really annoying is this little district, most of the greater Houston area where I live is all Harris County. Um, and it's, it's like, you can drive for like an hour and still be in Harris County. It's a bizarre place, but the little district of town where I work in has like its own court system. And so it was a, it was a Pasadena police officer that pulled me over. So I get to go to a Pasadena court. Well, the rules in Pasadena say, if I want to mail a check in just to pay my ticket and, you know, not deal with it, it's send in the amount plus $20, so that I can just plead guilty. And I was like, why on earth am I spending an extra $20 to not waste anybody's time? So yeah, that's what you get, man, for pleading guilty. You get an extra 20 on top of the ticket. Yeah. So uh, your boy is probably going to fight this ticket just for the sake of yes. not paying an extra 20 bucks. Yes. Um, that's good thing, content. Yeah. A thing that I am admittedly guilty of, whatever. Like, if it means I don't have to pay an extra 20 bucks to put a stamp on the check, then. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what I'm talking about. Okay. So go fight it. We'll podcast that live in the courtroom. That's definitely not allowed, but you know, I'll, I'll happily report live from a Pasadena, Texas municipal court. Yeah. We'll take to Facebook, we'll Facebook live it. Like four people will watch it. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, we can just put it on Twitter. You can just periscope it. Um, <laughs> and we can all just get a glimpse in at the courtroom and we can act like this is like a massive, massive deal because it is. It's, it it's, is. It comes it down is. to twenty bucks, mm -hmm. and potentially whatever, Right. Yeah. And whatever the actual ticket was too, because you know you could show up to court, the cop doesn't show up, and then hey, you're off the hook. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to happen. This is true. All right, we're on. I need to get like a whiteboard and draw up like some X's and O's. I, I feel like we're we're crafting a very winning strategy here, Mike. So I agree. I agree, and that was complex. So we're gonna need a. We're going to need a five-point plan. I need to time. find somebody that can serve as like the distraction in the courtroom and, and um, you know, get up and run out screaming and stuff and really throw off everybody's confidence and, and well, I'm, focus. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I'm just in a different state, you know? Well, when they call me and let me know what my court date is, uh, I'll let you know. And if you want to come down and, and hit that up, you're welcome to. Cool. And then we'll grab beers afterwards. Absolutely. And celebrate the $20 I saved. Yeah. And then get a DUI. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not, totally not advocating for that. Still not being serious with these things. Right. Correct. Attention authorities. 
Mike, that's all I got. And that's actually not true. We've got a couple other things from Andrew Parker. He sent us a couple of great questions on email, by the way. And, and it's first of all, it sounds like Andrew is over across the pond as well. I don't know if that's a permanent thing or like a semi-permanent thing or what's going on. But um, thank you so much for sending us questions from Europe. Mike, I think we've been going long enough tonight that we probably wait on our next show to answer those. So that's fair. That's cool. Sorry, Andrew, for the blue balls. Yeah. Yes, apologize for that. However, I will say that they are a couple of pretty wonderful questions. One of them being about who's the most tortured team in the ACC. Uh, and I made an NC State reference earlier, and I'll just give you the hint that that's where that comes into play. And B, uh, he asked another question about how the new ESPN Plus program affects ACC programming and such. And so we'll, we'll get to talk, of, talk about those and dig into those a little bit next time, if that's fair, Mike. That's fair. We're probably going to do another podcast sooner rather than later. I know we've been mm -hmm. putting these out every three, two or three weeks or so. Um, we're going to try to do one here maybe in the next week. So we have this podcast. We'll try to do another one here soon. Uh, so those questions will not go unanswered for Andrew Parker. Yeah, it's been a minute since we did this last, especially, you know, with the vacation and such. So we're going to we're going to try to come back in short order and do another one. Although we know how that turns out in, in these. Uh, these we've been doing pretty well overall, though. We I have. Guess. I mean, uh, more consistent this offseason. It's been every three weeks or so. Um, but, hey, yeah, it, it's more consistent. We were all over the place last summer. I think we're we're doing a lot better. Putting at least you know one to two podcasts out per month, I think that's pretty good. We're true professionals now, Mike. Uh, something like that. I mean, we're <laughs> talk, talking up DUIs. We're talking about, you know, blue balls. Guns to partners, heads. Guns to heads. Um, yeah. Anyway, true yeah. professionals. Yeah. Yeah, we got it. We got it. All right. Well, this has been fun. Let's get out of here. Uh, in the meantime, they can go find us on Twitter. I am at FTRSGOE. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email to the longest email address known to man as Andrew Parker has. That email address is basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes, sir. Uh, Y'all can find us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, Mike, tell them where else they can find us in the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. Check us out there. Like the page. Rate, review. Find all the podcasts there. Rate us, review us on iTunes and Google Play and all that good stuff as well. Yes, please do. Please share us with your friends. We're trying to increase the listenership here over the summer while we can, and then just you know really hit the ground running in the fall. Uh, we're not far from previews, Mike. We only got about a month, maybe a little more, until we start actually the individual team previews. It's it's coming up quick. We're less than uh, less than a hundred days now until season starts. We're coming up quick. Coming up and, quick, even though it's only June. And since we're talking about timeframes and 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 all of this, I, I just want to point out and throw it out there and, and make sure everyone's clear. This is going to post. The morning of June 11th, Monday, June 11th. And what that means, Mike, there are 20 days left in the Georgia Tech Russell Athletic contract. Yeah, we are buddy. done. We are yeah. done, buddy. Mm -hmm. Hey, you gotta you gotta repost your uh, your article uh, from from the Rumble seat for old time's sake. Absolutely, absolutely. It's actually it's funny because um, I, I realized I, I was asking a couple friends a couple weeks ago. Hey, like. I've seen, you know, the last couple of times that we've had a couple of these brand shifts at different schools around the country is, is there a, like a release party? You know, is it the night of June 30th into July 1st? Is there a big party at Georgia Tech or anything like that? And I said, well, not, not like a big party, but maybe something kind of a little bit under the radar is going to be going on, whatever. And I was trying to think about trying to fish for an invitation to that. And then I realized a week or two ago, I was like, well, wife and I are going to actually be on a trip to Seattle during that weekend. So it doesn't matter. I can't go anyways. <laughs> I mean, last year I spent my first anniversary on a boys trip in Toronto. So I feel like I can't, I can't back out on the, on her for other sports things this time. We gotta, we gotta do it right. Right. Um, also one thing I thought of, cause you were talking about giant parties. Uh, I don't know if you saw, so the Capitals won the Stanley cup, which is a massive deal in my area. I'm not, a huge, year. not a huge hockey fan. But I am a huge fan of Alex Ovechkin's hockey celebrations, um, mm -hmm. both on the ice and off the ice, where, mm -hmm. you know, he's been taking the Stanley Cup around Nats Park yesterday for the Nationals game. He was doing a keg stand out of the Stanley Cup. Um, Alex Ovechkin has been on basically a 72-hour bender. Um, 
which he probably came just came down from today uh, to give himself a full day off before then getting trashed again in the parade on Tuesday in D.C. Uh, so traffic is always hell in the D.C. area. It'll be even worse, um, obviously, on Tuesday with Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, so shout out to the Capitals fans listening to the podcast. I know a lot of happy fans from the D.C. area. And also shout out to Alex Ovechkin for uh, keeping the party going, even at age 32. There's a a famous archer line out there that I I feel like probably came to roost for Alex Ovechkin this morning. If I stopped drinking now, the cumulative hangover would literally kill me. Yes. So keep like that might be where he's at. Yeah. Keep on drinking. Mm hmm. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back to this again soon? Absolutely. Bye. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. (laughs) 